0: Let's Go Green on Midlands 103, supported by the Environmental Departments of Leith, Uffley and Westmeath County Councils. Good evening and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and well as you tune in to this week's show. We've got a lovely evening lined up for you so if you can, sit back, grab a cuppa and stay tuned in. Well, First things first tonight, you may have noticed I'm always looking for listeners to get in contact with the show because we love hearing from you. And one such person did that recently, and that is a Stradbally resident who has, well, made his home more energy efficient. So Frank Parker joins us now. Frank, you might uh, tell me why you decided to get in touch with me here on Let's Go Green.
1: Earlier this, at the beginning of last year, I decided to have uh, solar panels installed on my roof, and I've been keeping a record throughout the year to see how much of a saving I'm making. And I was, all of very really surprised, not least because, of course, uh, the price of electricity has almost doubled in that period of time. So the savings that I've actually achieved are considerably more than what I would have expected. Frank, uh, if I can go on in addition yeah just Frank. but be- before
0: you do Frank just take me back to why you made that decision to get solar panels up in the house like I know a lot of people are thinking that way but there's a difference between thinking and doing so what was it that convinced you
1: well yes I, I certainly have been thinking about it for a long time and it always seems that the, uh, the return was not as good or good enough to to pay back uh, in a reasonable period of time. Looking at it at the beginning of this year with the anticipation that there would be increases in the price of electricity and also um, the fact that there was talk then of the introduction of a feed-in tariff, which actually did happen in the summer. So with any uh, additional electricity we produced over and above what we needed, we'd get paid for uh, and, and, of course, there's, there's the grant that's offered by SEAI towards the cost of installation. all those things together, um, I came to the conclusion that it would be a worthwhile investment.
0: So, talk to me then about brass tax, If you don't mind me asking, how much did it cost you to do it?
1: Okay, it cost £9,500. Uh, sorry, €5,500, and against that, I received a grant of €2,900, so net cost was €6,600.
0: Okay, well, that sounds achievable, I think. Um, It's still a lot of money, though, and I think that's what puts people off, the, the getting together the money. So... And I know we spoke a little bit earlier. So give me your logic on it, Frank. Why was it worthwhile, do you think?
1: Okay. okay. One of the things that, that I took into account was the fact that over the last 15 years, I've changed my car three times. Each time it costs around about nine, nine grand. Uh, but of course, we had two years of COVID where we didn't use the car a great deal, not as much as more. So with the current car, As much of our lineage than one would expect given its age. I thought, well, you know, why not spend that sort of money on something like this? Because I'm not going to have to spend it on the car, at least for another couple of years.
0: And that I think is possibly similar to a lot of people's experience. Like changing the car is something that we do because we feel we need to. And We and the mechanic might have instructed us even to do so, as happened to me with one particular car. But, you know, we don't really think about it because we, in our minds, because we live in in Ireland, because we're a rural country, we need a car to get about. And lots of politicians will disagree with me on that, but that's the way our lives are structured. That's down to the infrastructure or lack thereof. So if we compare the costs then, um, to me, it sounds really logical. Now, that's not for anybody listening. That's not me saying I have the guts of six and a half thousand sitting sitting in a bank account and I can just, you know, whip it out and go ahead and do it. I know it's a lot of money and I know it takes a long time to get that kind of money built up in your savings. So you made the logical choice in for your house, for, for your lifestyle. But how what was your next step then, Frank?
1: I I I spotted the a neighbor of mine and had it sort of panels installed. And uh, I made contact with the company that installed his. And I was rather dismayed, actually, because it it was to be a very key salesman. He spent an hour sitting in my kitchen trying to convince me to spend a lot of money on a lot of panels. And then I spotted that uh, in the local area, in County Leash, there's a firm called Leash Electricals. Uh, and I spoke with their principal, a man called Darren McCarthy. And uh, I was particularly surprised when he came and gave, what, he didn't even come and see me. He gave me a quote for, for 10 paddles. Uh, at what looked like a very reasonable price to to what I was being quoted by the, the large company. And uh, I engaged him to do the job, which he did with great efficiency. And, and I've been delighted.
0: So, speaking of that efficiency, from making the decision to contacting the company that you decided to work with, how long did it all take?
1: Um, it took about six weeks altogether. Um, one had to go through the approval process for uh, with SEAI for for the grant, and uh, obviously the, the the solar panels are imported, so. Uh, delivery delay on that, um, which is not unreasonable, and then of course he had to fit into his schedule. Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, the actual installation took a day.
0: Okay, okay, so it wasn't at least very disruptive to the household, um, for that because I imagine you um, they would have had to disconnect electricity during the installation for a period of time.
1: Uh, yeah. it yeah, it's very short time. Okay,
0: so then. The SEAI process, I know we've had the, yes, the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland on the show on a, on a number of different occasions. How did you find the process of going through the application for the grant and getting the money through to, to you once you did the work done?
1: Very straightforward. Um, the As most electrical contractors do in these jobs, uh, Darren handled it all pretty much for me. Um, I had to fill in a form and he, as I say, he he dealt with it from there on. And uh, the only other thing was that I had to have um, a PR rating check. Somebody came around and had a look at the house and uh, the condition of the house and so on to make sure it was eligible. And it was. So, yeah.
0: So you had to do the check to make sure that. Your household electricity could uh, cope with this kind of work, was it, or that your 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 wiring and all that was up to standard?
1: I, um, not so much said. It was more a question of you know adequate insulation and uh, that we're already using low watch bulbs and, and this kind of thing.
0: Yeah, oh, I see. I see. Okay. And and that was just somebody popping out of the house and doing a, a spot check effectively.
1: No, it, it was actually it was after they were installed, but before I got the grant.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. And how long did it take for the grant to come through?
1: I see. Um goes back through my emails to answer that honestly, but I think it was probably three or four weeks.
0: So you weren't waiting too long then to recoup some of the cost? No. So, Frank, you've been saving money over the last 12 months. Many of us, myself included, have been getting eye-watering electricity bills. My last one was over €400. Euro, and bear in mind, I live alone in a very small apartment. Um, so, it's it's I can only imagine if you have uh, three or four children under the roof. So, so, Frank, take me through. How much money have you saved? And what, what do your bills look like now in, in comparison to pre-solar
1: panel installation uh, I't look um, too healthy especially during the, the the winter months when you know you don't uh, generate a great deal of electricity during the winter which is when you're spending most and uh, our heating is, is all electric uh, but overall during the course of the year I used 3,400 fewer units than in the year preceding the installation of the panels. And uh, the, the cost of that, it, it has increased twice during the course of the year, and the, the cost of that was around uh, eight, 900 for, uh, euros. In addition to that, I received 170 euros for the electricity that I was able to sell back to the grid The total saving was was over €1,100.
0: So, Frank, that was for 2022. In comparison to 2021, you saved in or around €1,100.
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: It's not small money, is it?
1: It's not. It's not. And, uh, you know, for £6,600, Euro investment, uh, it's, it's a very good return. As I say, if we go back to comparing it with buying a new car or changing a car, you immediately start losing the day you get your new car. Uh, whereas, you know, I started gaining a day the in order installed.
0: If you don't mind me saying so, Frank, you are um, an older gentleman. And many people that I speak to are maybe retirees and they have a built-in fear about maybe going to the bank looking for a loan or they might have it in their savings, but they're afraid to use it because, well, you know, they might become unwell or, or, or something else might crop up. From your own perspective, now that you have been there and done this, would you recommend others follow your suit?
1: I, I would uh i i I think I'd hesitate before I would borrow money to do it uh for the reasons you've said I mean the interest rates are going up and uh, it, it's it's the, the cost of the loan couldn't approach the amount of money you're saving if you, if you do have a bit foot why uh you know and you think about your other expenditure that you might have to as you say medical expenses could drop, that sort of thing. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult decision I, and, and I wouldn't recommend it to anybody who is short of funds. I certainly wouldn't recommend anybody I think to, to take it out a loan to do it.
0: And I think that has been the encouragement really from the powers that be. There, there has been a, a not direct directions, but there has been suggestions that people would go to banks and look for a loan to do this kind of work on their homes. Do you think there should be a grant that just covers the work in, in its entirety?
1: It depends how um, committed the government are to, to saving the planet and reducing their carbon footprint. Um, Maybe, maybe rather than grant a cheap loan, an interest-free loan, for example, could uh, be a good incentive. I should remind, I suppose, everyone that there are already the incentives there in in mine, uh, which is about 25% of the cost, and the fact that they will buy the surplus electricity back from you. And that, Those are good incentives.
0: Well, Frank, thank you very much for getting in contact with me through midlands103.com. Um, and for sharing your story with our listeners and I I hope you uh, stay tuned in to us here on let's Go Green. thank you very much for your time
1: Thank you And Ashley.
0: we will be back after the break
1: Let's go Green on Midlands Winne3 supported by the environmental departments of Leeash Uley and Westmeath County Councils.
0: You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And I hope you're enjoying the programme so far this evening. We've got a bit of a, a theme really about the programme this evening. We're looking at energy and in particular energy at home. And the first piece we had there with Stradbally resident Frank Parker. Frank brought us through how he went about getting solar panels installed on his home. And he sent me a fascinating article that he has drawn up on his medium.com account. So if you want to find out in more detail how Frank went through the process, you can find that on medium.com. If you just look up Frank Parker and the headline for the article there is how I saved over 1.2 grand in a year after installing solar PV on my roof. And in that piece, Frank goes through in quite a lot of detail, including a spreadsheet of the figures um, that he has, uh, of the energy, the units that he's used and the money that he has saved, including the unit cost. And it makes for interesting reading if you are considering going down the solar panel route, it might be nice and helpful to see how someone else here in the Midlands has done it first. Frank did mention a registered company that he used to install his solar panels. There are, of course, many companies right around the Midlands who do that work. And if you're interested in finding one, you can go on to seai.ie and they have a Find a Registered Energy Professional section, which allows you go through and find the appropriate person for the job in your area. You can also use the SEAI's website to find out more about the grants that are available, the grants that you may be eligible for and the step by step process to fill them out. And you can also contact the SEAI directly if you have any questions whatsoever about what you might be eligible for. If there is something you'd like me to discuss here on the programme, if there's something that you've been doing to try and make your house more environmentally friendly that's improved your day-to-day living, please do get in contact with me, just like Frank did. You can send me an email through green at midlands103.com or you can get in contact with me directly through the midlands103.com website. If you go onto the website, click on the on-air team, look for Ashling O'Rourke, and when you see my name there, there is um, a little bit of information about me, but there's a handy contact Ashling here button and it'll help you send me an email directly. So please do get in contact with me, just like Frank did. And we might even have you on the air some day soon. Coming up after the break, we're going to be joined by a member of Friends of the Earth Ireland to talk to us about the latest report where they have a particular focus on energy poverty and how the government is doing in tackling just that. Stay tuned.
1: Let's Go Green on Midlands 103. Supported by the Environmental Departments of Leith, Offaly and Westmeath County Councils.
0: You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Well, we've done a lot of talking over the last year or so here on the programme about government plans, Aims that we should all be working towards in terms of battling climate change. But in the last couple of days, a new report has been released to assess how the government is actually doing. And that was commissioned by Friends of the Earth. And to talk to us about that, we're joined now by Claire O'Connor. And Claire is the Energy Policy Officer for Friends of the Earth Ireland. Claire, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks a million for having
2: me, like here.
0: So Claire, in a nutshell, in this report, what exactly were you looking at?
2: So basically what we did is we got in touch with 32 different experts across housing, across climate and poverty and energy. We got their input to let us know how exactly the government are performing in terms of addressing energy poverty and also climate action. Um, and ultimately, what we found is that the government aren't going forward and, and they're not being ambitious enough and they're not scaling up their activities enough at a level that will effectively address energy costs, energy poverty or the root causes. And the root causes of energy poverty are ultimately low income, and inadequate housing, and high energy cost, which is the result of our reliance on fossil fuels. And one of the things that the report has found is that retrofitting is a really effective way of addressing this issue of energy property, particularly the area of um, inadequate housing. Um, and we have, like you said, we've seen these big targets that the government just set to in half a million homes by 2030. But ultimately, the way it stands at the moment is that it's a first-come-first-served basis. Whoever can afford to do this big retrofit, and it's, it's a not an insignificant amount that you need to have to actually get a full retrofit. The government requires people to have that money ready to go and get their home retrofitted basically. And what we found from these experts is that the government needs to be much more proactive in actually in actually identifying who needs the retrofits most, who 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 in Ireland is most struggling with their energy bills and struggling to keep their homes warm, and to prioritise them in any of these national retrofitting schemes. So we just need the, the short term measures that the government have taken really over the past years to address the energy crisis. Are just that. They're short-term measures, that put a plaster on the issue, but they don't ultimately address any of those root causes, all the energy poverty Actually, I suppose make a, a long term and significant gain of people's energy bills and to bring down emissions at the same time.
0: So, and I know I addressed this with my earlier speaker who did invest in getting solar panels for his home uh, recently, but based on the research that you've conducted then, Are you suggesting that, like I know, and I've spoken to the SEAI on numerous occasions here in the programme, and there are grants available, and for those who could afford to get the grants, they're they're very worthwhile. But do we need a system, I suppose I'm going to repeat a question that I'm asking nearly every week at this stage on the programme, but do we need a system where I can go to the government and I say, this is my income, this is how much it's costing me to eat my home. It's not sustainable. I can't afford it. It's putting me under significant financial stress. Please pay for it. And I will not object to you retrofitting my home.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I think that was one of the big findings from our report as well, that although the government have the they have a free energy upgrade scheme and which is available to people, it's for homeowners who are receiving social welfare payments. But there's still a big, a huge cohort of people who aren't included in that. One of our findings is that they need to really expand eligibility for those free energy upgrade schemes. And again, they just need to be so much more proactive in actually going out to people and getting them retrofitted. I think think you're right. I think um, it's not just people who are unemployed. It's people who are on low incomes. People who are struggling with their energy bills anyway. You know, there's lots of us who are now struggling with our energy bills. And because of that, we don't allow the, the bandwidth really to go and invest in the more long term retrofitting measures that will actually bring down our energy bills. We're so kinda of caught in the CAP twenty two almost. I totally agree. Um
0: absolutely. And, well, and like it is yeah. I think that's a really fair point, Claire. Like we are all at different levels, of course, but we're all feeling the strain at the moment. And do you know it's a long month to to payday if you're paid monthly and it can be hard if you're paid weekly then to to build up savings on on the on the reverse of that so it's interesting to hear this coming from an environmental lobby group a charity activists of your kind because i think that there is a gap in understanding perhaps from some people who would think that people like yourselves are clueless as to the difficulties that people are facing so this idea that you're looking at energy pos- poverty in this broad scope, I think will be refreshing for many people.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think um ultimately, like the success of any of this climate action or, or the energy transition, it all hinges on whether or not there's public buy-in and public acceptance to it. And and if the if policy is designed in such a way that only wealthier households can access retrofitting. It's not fair, and and anyone anyone can see that that's not fair, you know, um, and it's not doing any favors for for the the energy transition overall if it's just skewed towards wealthier households as it is at the moment. And I think really that's one of our big findings in this report as well is that you, you lose people if you don't, and um, if you just have it that wealthier people can can get involved in this, um, and one one other interest thing me as well is that I think tenants are really have been left behind with the retrofitting completely at the moment because people who are renting, they're bearing the brunt of the housing crisis at the moment, but they're also now bearing the brunt of the energy crisis. They've really high rent every single month, but they also don't have the agency to actually go and retrofit their homes themselves. That's totally out of their control. Um, And really what we want to see now is new regulations being brought in. To have like a housing standard for rental properties that would require a minimum or for rental properties on the market, and I think we're gonna we're gonna need that stick as well as the carrot, you know. And um, and I think that's a big one. It's going to be coming in from the EU anyway by 2030. There was a new directive that just passed in the European Parliament there earlier this week, and that's going to set a minimum energy performance standard for all buildings by 2030. And ultimately, that is kind of what we need. We need to have that regulation there so that. They're armed cohorts of people. And rental properties are actually they have the lowest BEOs and they're the most inefficient and meakest housing anyway for the most part. So there need to be an incentive there for, for landlords to rent for properties so that tenants are very in brunt of the housing crisis And just left the kind of exposed to the volatility of fossil fuel prices, which is ultimately what's driving energy costs up at the moment. It is it's gas and it's oil and and, and um long term we need to be be moving to, to renewables, I think.
0: So we focus so far on housing and the effect of energy poverty, poverty on housing and how we we need to be doing our bit for, for climate action, but also to make everything a bit more affordable for people. But there will be those that say, look, the government only has so much money to do the rounds. We've got a healthcare system that's in crisis. We've got the housing crisis. We don't have the bandwidth in Ireland to tackle climate action that we're only a small country. It's somebody else's problem.
2: Yeah, I think that that's been said often. I think if you look at where we are relative to other European countries, per person, per per, 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 per person is the highest emissions of any EU country. So ultimately, it is kind of on us to do our bit as well. I think, and um, and if we look at what the government have committed to, they've committed to having our emissions by 2030, and that wasn't just that wasn't just the Greens coming in with that. That was actually every party in government, including the opposition, who agreed. This is what we need to do. So it's kind of, it's, I think everyone that has, in government anyway has has bought into it. I this point and understand, that even from a sense of justice and a, that that worldwide kind of lens, it we do actually have to do that. Um, but I understand on on the um, do the government have enough to to do this? And I think that's why one of our arguments here is that. The, the grants that they're given at the moment are skewed towards, well, uh, we need to redistribute those grants so it's actually getting to the people who need the most for. Because you're right, it's not fair at the moment. And But there is money to be invested into retrofitting, and we just need to, to realign that investment in a much more fair way so we don't lose people in this big transition.
0: According to your report, um, what else does the government need to do better on?
2: So one of the other things is um, that of the half million homes that they want to retrofit by 2030, only 36,000 of them are going to be social housing units. And we really need to see the government take a much more uh, like proactive leadership role in this really, because th- this, these are local authority owned homes. Only 36,000 of them are going to be retrofitted out of almost 150,000 homes that the government themselves actually, that state owns. So it makes sense that we would need with vehicles and if people in social housing are actually much more likely to to be struggling with energy bills as well so it makes sense that they would take a leadership role. Ultimately all of the homes are like I think there's 1.2 million homes in total that will need to be retrofitted at some point. It makes sense that we bring forward that we retrofit social housing first, that we set minimum regulations for rental properties first. because ultimately regulations are coming down in line from the EU that is going to require all properties to, to have a certain level of, of insulation. And it's not just a minimum BER, it, it's thermal comfort. And you, like your health improves, you have much warmer home, you've lower energy, but there's so many benefits to actually insulating halim and having a, a retrofitted home. And I think we need to start talking about that aspect of it as well. It's not just the cost in terms of like economic benefits of the jobs that are going to be created, the health, the savings that will be made in the health system from people having warmer homes. I think childhood asthma is significantly higher in in low be or leakier homes as well. But I think they'll be any benefit. And, and I think the government are really talking about that as well. And like, for people
0: listening, like what's the connection between having an energy leaky home, uh, as you put it, and climate action? Why does it
2: matter so much? So basically, if if your energy is leaking, you need to, you need to keep... As I do here, I need to keep pressing the plus one on my little my little gas booster. <laughs> you know, whereas if i down, on my house here is over hundred years old and it's like an F rating or stuff like that. But it means that I'm constantly boosting the gas throughout the day and it doesn't retain any of the heat. So the more the more time and the longer I need to move my, my gas on, the 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 higher the emissions are for my house, the higher my energy bills are. So ultimately if you're retrofitting, you're gonna actually retain that heat. You're going to need to use a lot less energy and and your emissions are going to come down ultimately as well.
0: And this, like I know we were speaking before we came on air, and I think it would be fair to say that Friends of the Earth, were not necessarily expecting this level of media interest in this report that you've conducted. And that must give you hope, the fact that we are taking notice of the work that you're doing. What would you like to see happen as a result of the report? Because, like, let's be honest about it, I've been working in media for almost two decades and there have been many reports published and it's frequently hard to see the connection between the report being published and action being taken. So what's your message to the government? What, if they took away a couple of key takeaways from it, what would you like to see them do and do now?
2: Yeah, I guess. So even between now and the next budget, really, like the budget is where we could see increased investment and we can see increased investment in retrofitting social housing. That needs to increase significantly, you know, and that can happen in, in, in next year's budget. um, And as well as that, it's the expanding the eligibility for SAI free retrofitting schemes to make sure that people who are serving to pay their energy bills don't have to fork out huge sums of money to retrofit their homes. But I think, I think that's what we could see between now. And, and this year's current budget.
0: Can I ask, have you um, gotten any reaction from politicians on your latest
2: publication? Um, I was on the Tonight Show on Burlington Media last night, and I haven't had a single politician uh, disagree with anything that's in the report, that no one is being brave enough to say, no, <laughs> I'm going to do that. Uh, so there's lots of, lots of nodding and lots of agreement so far But whether or not that will turn into action. I think that will be us now advocating in, in our advocacy and campaigning work now for the next couple of months really is the road, I think.
0: The fear, of course, would be that there is, and I know in a, in a large newspaper very recently, there was a suggestion and it's only one journalist's opinion that we could be looking at a general election before the year is out. Now, I have my own opinions on whether or not I think that's realistic, but that's, not, that's neither here nor there. But in the election system that we have, when you look at politicians here in the Midlands where there is some resistance, there's an awful lot of people really feeling the pressure. There's an awful lot of people struggling to make ends meet with the likes of Borden um Mona, scaling back its its activities. There's many homes that are still um, heated by fossil fuels. Is the incentive there for politicians to put these measures at the forefront of what they're doing on the campaign trail now in the next
2: year or so? Mm, it's. I think that's a really good question and I think that politicians know that ultimately mm. having a warmer home will bring your bill down for people you know and it ultimately will will reduce the amount of times you're in hospital per year you know like suddenly they're showing that and I think we need to, I think it'll be our job as well as an environmental organisation to let politicians know that as well and let the public know that as well and I think I think retrofitting is a win win. It creates so many jobs as well, like local jobs as well. And um, and I think it's gonna be a big part of that just transition, you know, of it moving off fossil fuels and moving industries away from fossil fuels. And this really is the direction it's going there. And I think I think but I think politicians, yeah, I think I think they know that. Um and I think it's all up then as a public to hold them accountable and make sure that they are taking these decisions in, in the right direction, because otherwise we're just locked into fossil fuel. For years to come, and it's going to be an even more difficult transition when we ultimately do have to do it.
0: And it is on us to elect our government, so it's up to us that when they do call to the front door, whenever that may happen in the next couple of years, and um, to to make sure that we ask these questions there and then, and let politicians know that in fact we do care when it comes to the environment and the world that we're leaving for the next generation or two. Well. Claire O'Connor of Friends of the Earth. Thank you so much for speaking to us this evening about your latest report, Claire. If listeners are
2: interested in reading that report, where can they find out more about it? So it's online on our website on friendsoftheearth.ie. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and all the all the usual social media channels about. Thanks very much, Claire. Thanks, Beth. We'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green on Midlands 103,
0: supported by the Environmental Departments of Leith, Offaly and Westmeath County Councils. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Well, if you are a fan of the latest iterations of Star Wars, you may be familiar or indeed if you're um, Good on being a tourist here in our own country of Ireland. Um, you will be familiar with Skellig Michael, or indeed Skellig Michael, depending on your uh, Gaelga. You'll be familiar with it as an unusual and beautiful site off County Kerry, one which is difficult to reach and is only reachable when the seas around it are calm and only during particular parts of the year. Well. UNESCO has seen that uniqueness and has decided that it's going to be one of 10 sites across the globe that in a new project it's going to observe the changes undergoing on Skellig Michael or the changes occurring on Skellig Michael as a direct result of climate change. Now, I don't think anyone likes the idea of changes to parts of our beautiful island that we really, we love, that tourists love to visit, that are really part of our environment and our history. But these changes are indeed taking place. And UNESCO has recognised that Skellig Michael is at risk of these changes. So it's selected, as I've said, one of 10 sites across the world. It's the only site that they have selected in Europe which I find particularly interesting and it's going to be the focus of this new research project on climate change this project is going to really see researchers sit back and observe the changes that are taking place and they're going to be looking for the effects of climate change in a number of areas around the globe and see what we can learn from that. Now, this will be a a slow process, I'm sure, and research which will be eventually very valuable. Now, I do wonder whether or not money should be invested in observing these changes as opposed to investing the same money in in action uh, because we are at that that. point in climate change unfortunately but it's very interesting to see that well an island just off the coast of this wee island has been the one selected for this particular research project by UNESCO some of the other some of the other areas included in this project is Anger Archaeological Park in Cambodia and Cartagena in Colombia, excuse my butchering of the language. And there will be many others, of course, um, as part of all of this. And it'll be interesting to see what they learn about the Kerry Island um, through this entire project. They're going to work with the Office of Public Works. And national monuments to collaborate with these researchers. And this research project is going to take place over a 10 year period. So we're not going to get the results of it anytime soon. But it will be documented, the changes will be documented. So whatever we do will be evidenced for the next generation to, I suppose, make judgment on. Because we are leaving them a legacy of climate change and the results of climate change, unfortunately. And hopefully within that 10 year period, we will have made massive leaps towards combating it. And we will have improved and hopefully in 10 years time, we'll be able to say, God, we were in such a bad place in 2023. But look what we achieved. Hopefully it will be a research project which signifies hope and that if action is taken, Problems like this, problems on the scale of climate change can indeed, if not be solved, but can be tackled to a significant effect. So I think it's curious and interesting and I guess we'll have to watch this space to find out more about this project as it develops in the weeks, months and indeed decade ahead. Well, I'm afraid we are running out of time on Let's Go Green for this week's episode. Just a reminder, though, that we are available as a podcast. So if you're tuning in to us on Midlands 103 FM, you can tune in at your leisure to Let's Go Green on Spotify, Google and Indeed Apple Podcasts. You might even, if you liked this episode, subscribe to it on your preferred podcast platform and even share this episode with your family and friends. I hope you have a great week. I hope you are rested as we start off this new week after what was a nice long weekend one which was definitely needed as far as I was concerned but I hope you have a great week ahead and we'll be back here on Let's Go Green same time next week on Midlands 103.